key. Can you crank my volume just a little bit, Pastor Matt? It, it won't come out? Oh, this is just for recording. For, got it. Okay, fantastic. Uh, fantastic. So can you guys hear me okay? Yeah, you're not going to hear me in the system. This is just so, so we can have this recorded. So we're going to go ahead and get started, and uh, that's fantastic. Um, Greg, why don't you pray for us as we get moving tonight? Would you do that, please, sir? Amen. Praise the Lord. All right. Well, we're going to be talking the next three weeks about understanding your spiritual gifts. And this really is deeply, deeply connected to the whole kingdom of God things that we're talking about, the whole kingdom of God series that we're in on Sunday mornings, and really a commitment that we have as pastors and elders to um, do a better job, grow and, and, and deepen and reconnect to some degree uh, with the kingdom of God way of doing things. Uh, how many of you were at the workshop we had about a month ago with Kent Hunter? Several of you were there. Uh, if you were there, you should have got a copy of his book. Anybody breeze through that book at all, skimmed it, looked at it at all? Uh, yeah. I, pardon? You've read three chapters? Okay. Fantastic. Well, I encourage you to take, even if you just skim through it, uh, I encourage you to take some, some time to do that. Uh, the, his writings, uh, I have to be honest, just a little bit redundant, but a, re, a repetitive, but the concepts really are fantastic. And his fundamental thesis in the book is that a long time ago, the church kind of strayed um, from the kingdom of God and developed a church way uh, of doing things. And that Jesus and the Spirit of God and the Father want us to return to their way of doing things. And if we would, in fact, do that, the likely result of returning to doing things the kingdom way uh, would very likely be revival. And so we've been talking for a number of Sundays now, almost two months on Sunday mornings, about what Jesus says the kingdom of God is like, how it works and what it looks like, what it means and why it matters. And part of that has to do with this issue of spiritual gifts. Because in the kingdom, one of the church ways of doing things we developed a long time ago, we'll talk about probably next week in a little bit more detail, uh, is kind of a, uh, uh, we, prof we professionalized ministry. And, and we relegated the doing of ministry to the gifts God gave to the church to equip all of us to do the ministry. And when we did that, we, we really perverted God's intention and purpose and, and, and moved away from what the kingdom of God is supposed to look like, what the church is supposed to look like, how we're supposed to function. The basic idea is that each one of us, God has gifted every one of us to do work, to do ministry in the kingdom of God. And when we believe that and get a hold of that, and understand that and begin to grow and develop in the gifts God's given us and actually put them to work consistently just as who we are and a part of our daily lives, uh, then we begin to live like kingdom people and, and affect the world the way we're supposed to. So um, when uh, uh, I mentioned last time, when the sun set on that um, horrible Friday uh, where Jesus was crucified, the reason you're here tonight, and as Christians, we understand the good news is that was not the end of the story. On the third day, Jesus rose from the dead. Uh, he spent a period of time appearing to his disciples, convincing them that he was really there, that it wasn't a ghost. Uh, after a period of time, he returned to the Father where he's promised to come back someday. Right now, the Bible says he's in actually interceding for you. He's seated at the right hand of God, praying for you, interceding for you. His life is intercession for you. But after a few days, when he went back to the Father, a couple of weeks after that, he poured out the Holy Spirit and created what we call the church. He poured out the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost and gave the Spirit of God to his people. And with that giving comes this issue of spiritual gifts. He poured out the Spirit of God that we might not only be born again and changed, like we talked about on Sunday, but empowered for the work of the kingdom of God. Jesus didn't save you so one day you can slide into heaven. Jesus saved you so right now you can be in tune with God and the purposes of God. And you can work to fulfill those purposes. And he's equipped you for them. Uh, uh, some of what we'll talk about tonight, uh, I, I drew from Kent Hunter. Kent Hunter's got a book 
um, called Your Spiritual Gifts, Discover God's Plan for Your Life. Uh, in general, I recommend it. We did, he, uses, he has a, uh, an assessment tool that he uses in here. We did not use it because I'm going to be honest with you. I think he doesn't understand quite a few of the gifts. Uh, uh, they're, they're, as, as individual gifts, there's some parts of that I think he, he doesn't complete. But I've never read anybody who better, in my opinion, understands the purpose of the gifts in general and how they're supposed to function to advance the kingdom of God. So his overall concept is fantastic. So if you want something to do a little bit of reading with, it's very easy to read. Uh, um, it's got some, some of the material on the gifts is good, some of it, you know, not. But, but the concept of why the gifts are there and how they're supposed to work is fantastic. So if you want to look for them, you can contact Jessica in the church office and we can hook you up with it. Has everyone here taken the assessment that we, we gave to you? Uh, if you've not, I want to encourage you to do that. We've had right at night. What's the last total, Jess? 89. Okay, last I saw was like 87. So if you haven't taken it, I want to encourage you to do that. So let's talk for a little bit. I made. I don't really typically teach this way with, with handouts and fill in the blanks. I thought I'd try it, and so we'll see uh, what happens. So the first thing I want to ask is, is why bother to learn about spiritual gifts? And, uh, um, and the first answer is, you need to know that you have been supernaturally gifted by God. Whether or not you believe it, it's still true. And part of what I want to do uh, in, in this workshop these next couple of weeks is encourage you to believe it because the Bible says it's true. You have been supernaturally gifted by God. The Spirit of God has gifted you to make a difference in the world. The Spirit of God has gifted you to bring the kingdom of God to this world. And Jesus then sows you wherever you are so that you can sow into people and make a difference. And so uh, uh, why study these things? Because you've been supernaturally gifted by God. You are, in fact, God's plan A to change the world and to bring people to Jesus. Now, let's be clear. Jesus really is the one who does that. I'm not saying you're Jesus. That's not the point. But Jesus said, you are the light of the world. I didn't say that. Jesus said that. And so, so we understand Jesus did the work, and the Spirit of God provides the power, but he did the work for you, and he provides the power to you. So you are now God's plan A. He, he, during his earthly ministry, he took 12 guys, worked with them, trained them, discipled them, and turned them loose. They were plan A. There is no plan B. God's plan is to fill his people, to change them, make us born again, new people, Make us different, teach us how to live different, and turn us loose with Holy Spirit equipment to uh, change the world and bring people to Jesus. And spiritual gifts are a big part of the tools, fundamental tools for which um, God's equipped you to do that. We're talking about the operation of the kingdom of God, which really means in some fundamental level. If you poo-poo the notion of gifts, or if you ignore your gifts, if you don't discover and develop and use them, we'll talk about that in a little bit, then, then you are undermining to some degree the advancement and the purposes of God in his kingdom. You play a crucial role in the advancement of the kingdom of God. I also promise you, you're going to rob yourself of some joy and fulfillment uh, because God designed you. He made you. He knows, how, he knows how you tick. And he made you to advance his kingdom. He made you to make a difference in the world. And he equipped you for that. And so there's some stuff in you that if you get a hold of it and begin to use it, it's going to bring you joy. It's going to bring you a sense of fulfillment. It's going to bring you a sense of energy and excitement. And so to some degree, you rob yourself by not stepping out into ministry in these gifts. And we'll talk about it in a lot more detail over the course of the next three weeks. So why learn about spiritual gifts? Let's get really specific. Number one, they're in the Bible. And my opinion is, if God takes time to put it in the Bible, he must think it's important. Um, and so the Bible is God's book to us. It's God's gift to us, the written word of God. And these gifts are in the Bible, so God must think they're important. And if we think the Bible is important, then anything in the Bible we believe is important. And the Bible has a lot to say about spiritual gifts. For example, in 2 Timothy 3, 16-17, the Bible says this, all scriptures, say all scripture, that includes the scripture about spiritual gifts. All scriptures God breathed, it all comes from him, and it's all useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and, tra and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So the scripture talks in part, part of what it talks about is these spiritual gifts that we're going to be studying these next three weeks. And, and, and because it's there in the Bible, it is useful 
for training you in righteousness, for seeing you equipped for every good work, which also suggests the reverse to me suggests this. If you don't pay attention to what the Bible says about spiritual gifts, you are less than thoroughly equipped for every good work, for the good work specifically that God has for you. They're in the Bible, and it's a big uh, big deal. God wants you trained in righteousness. He wants you prepared for every good work. Um, number two, why study spiritual gifts? You were created to do good works for God. That's why you exist. Uh, you were created to serve the Lord and to do good works for God. Now, as, as good Lutherans, we understand that uh, uh, we can't earn our salvation by works. That's a question of justification. That's not a question of why you were created. That's a question of how are you justified. It is bad theology to confuse how are you justified with why do you exist. That's bad theology. Why you exist, according to the Bible, is to do good works for God. This is what it says in um, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. Why? To do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Some of us live, I think, in the church uh, uh, like God was created for us. That, that we exist to have a good life, to have a happy family, to have a good career, and to have a nice retirement. And God was created to make sure that happens. That's exactly the reverse. Of, but, but we live like that sometimes. Like it's about you know, me having a, my family's right, and my job's right, and my retirement's right, and, you know, and, and God's there to make sure that works. That is exactly opposite of how it's supposed to be. We were created for Him, to bring Him glory, to bring Him glory, and to do good works for God. Works matter. They don't save you. You can't do enough of them to earn the favor of God. It's favor. It's grace. You can't earn grace. But having been given the grace of God, God wants to turn you loose. To share that grace with others and to lead other people to it. And by the way, you were created to do good works which God prepared in advance for you. I am not talking, we're not talking here about random acts of kindness. As I mentioned in one of the uh, uh, Kingdom of God series, we're talking really about intentional acts of kingdom. I envision years ago the Lord gave me this illustration that at you know, the, you know, the end of time we're all going to stand, believers are going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And I envision it going something like this. We'll pile a list of everything we've done. And then Jesus will pull out a list of everything we're supposed to do. We were supposed to have done. And listen to me, it's not going to matter how long your list is. It's going to matter how well your list matches his. You can do lots and lots and lots of good things. But if they weren't the good works he created you to do, he prepared in advance for you to do, I don't think you get credit for them. The job is to line up with the purposes of God and the plan of God and the intention of God and the heart of God. So I, wanna, I, I don't have to do the things Billy Graham did. I don't have to do the things Mother Teresa did. I shouldn't. I'm not Mother Teresa. I need to do the things designed for Billy Miller to do. And you need to do the things God designed Betty Petit to do. And man, that's liberating. And the rest of the story is God has uniquely equipped Betty Petit to do those things. She has grace from the Spirit of God, power from the Spirit of God to do the things on God's list that he's pre prepared in advance that she should do. And so our job is to take that seriously and, uh, and to live the life we were created to live. Jesus didn't save you to get you to heaven. Jesus saved you to get you to God. And one day that'll be in heaven. But before then, you still get to get to him. And his purpose is that, that you know him, you love him, you serve him, you do the things he wanted you to do. Paul? Intentional acts of kingdom. And now let me say this because it came up last class. I don't think there's anything wrong with random. Let me be sure. I'm not saying random acts of kindness are evil. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that's not what the Bible's talking about here. And, and so listen, feel free to pay for the McDonald's and the guy in line behind you. That's a random act of kindness. That's a blessing. You can bless. That's fantastic. But we're talking in this workshop about the things God has wired us for and equipped us for that are unique. And, and, and so, so I'm, not, I'm not putting down random acts of kindness. I'm just saying that's not what we're talking about in the text. And that's not what we're talking about in terms of spiritual gifts. Number three, why should you study um, uh, spiritual gifts? Oh, before, the, uh, before we get to number three, uh, 1 Peter 4.10 says this, each one should use. Notice it says should. This is, this is an expectation of God. I'm going to tell you, if you're in the room and you're born again, you have gifts. And the Bible says you should use them. 
And when you don't do a should, that's a disobedience. It's a form of disobedience. Each one should use whatever gift he's received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. You become an agent of the grace of God. As a recipient of the grace of God, which you did nothing to earn, that's why it's grace, you become an agent of that grace in the world. And God has uniquely equipped you to share that grace in, in, in ways that are unique to you. And, and as you do that, you are faithfully administering the grace of God, which implies in reverse, if you sit on your gifts and don't pay attention to them and don't use them, and you pay a little bit, you pay all your attention goes to your 401k and none of it goes to the gifts, I think you're unfaithfully administering the grace of God. And so we want to be faithful stewards uh, of the grace of God. In fact, that's the next thing. It is a stewardship. And so why do we study these gifts? It is a stewardship. And because it is a stewardship, there will be an accounting. This, this is a kingdom principle. We'll look in a second at a, king, at a kingdom parable. Uh, but, but it is a stewardship. God didn't, actually, actually, he didn't so much give the gifts as he invested them. You know the difference? If I give you something, then I'm done. If I invest it, I'm looking for a return on that investment. And, and in, the, in the parable of the stewards, the parable of the talents, you're going to find the kingdom of God, God's looking for a return on his investment in you. It is. And, and so, so there, because there will be an accounting. 1 Corinthians 4.2 says, Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. Interesting verb prove there. Uh, in, the, in the original Greek is actually uh, probably better uh, translated be found, which is how it's translated in King James. Uh, a steward must be found faithful. And the idea is it's found upon examination. But there is an examination coming. And here's your list, and here's Jesus's. And we're going we're gonna to examine how we did in that. And, and, and so they're, they're, the Lord's looking for us to, to be found faithful upon examination, that we would demonstrate faithfulness with these things. And then I just make reference to Matthew 25, 14 to 30. I encourage you to read it on your own sometime this week. That is the parable of the talents, that is the, or the parable of the stewards. And, and as you think about spiritual gifts and and what that means, is this, is this a big deal? Does this matter or not? Is this just you know, some kind of intellectual, theological, doctrinal exercise? Or is this a big deal? I want to submit to you, it's a kingdom deal. It is a big deal. And in this parable, it's a parable of the kingdom. Jesus says, it will be like this. And he's referring to it there, refers to the kingdom of God. And he says, it's like this. A master doles out talents. Now, that's not what we think of a talent. That's actually a weight. Uh, in New Testament era, that's a weight of money. So it's like 10 pounds kind of thing. But uh, so, so you know, a certain number of talents of silver or gold, it's a weight of money, and he gives some to, so much to some, it's one, two, five, and then he goes away, and then he comes back. And when he comes back, he said, time for an accounting. And uh, the one who had two doubled it. He said, woohoo, well done. The one who had five doubled, he said, woohoo, well done. And the one who had one buried it, he said, you, faith, you, you wicked, lazy servant. Uh, he is not happy with what's now. This is not the kingdom of you go to heaven or hell. That's, that, that's not what this parable is about. But it is about the accounting. And, and, uh, uh, and, and, and clearly in that accounting, he's not happy that there was no return I encourage you to take some time this week and take a look at that parable. So, so let's keep going. Spiritual gifts have a context, and their context is within the function of the church. Jesus did not gift and equip us to be lone rangers out there, kind of running around by ourselves, all, all by our lonesome, using these gifts on our own. But there is a context within the local church. With I think this is in your notes. I don't even know what I gave you there, but... I uh, think it might say this, with billions of people in the world who haven't been reached or discipled for Jesus, your involvement in God's work is your single most important endeavor. Is that in your notes? So I'm going to just read it again. With billions of people in the world who have not yet been reached for Jesus or have not been effectively discipled for Jesus, your involvement in the work of God is the single most important endeavor 
of your life. And your involvement in that work is meant to be a daily lifestyle. If you read any of, um, even if you skim through the book, Who Broke My Church by Kent Hunter, or if you get this book on spirit, one of the things I like that he stresses over and over and over, he says it's not about program, it's about lifestyle. It's about the, churches put programs together. That's one of the ways we churchified the kingdom of God. Churches are great at programs. Jesus designed it to be organic, to, 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 to be you know, spirit-driven, spirit-led, spirit-empowered, the spirit of God's in you, and you just are supposed to go and act like God made you. Uh, uh, Ask the person he designed you to be. Get a hold of and work in the gifts he put inside of you. Just be who you are. It's fun to be who you are. It is energizing to, to see fruit for God as you just are who you're supposed to be. And, and, and so it's not about prayer. If somebody comes to me and says, you know, I think our church doesn't do enough to reach lost people, I would say, I agree. What are you doing to reach lost people? Because somewhere along the way, when we programatized Christianity, we thought the church has got to create a program for this. And we lost the reality that you're the church. And you're the church, and I'm the church, and we're the church. And if the church needs to do more to reach lost people, what that means at the end of the day is the guy in the mirror has got to do more to reach lost people. I've got to realize that wherever I am, I've been sown there by Jesus, and I want to make the most of every opportunity to sow seeds where I am, with the person in front of me, whoever that is, moment by moment, day by day. And I am the church, and so if the church needs to do more to reach lost people, that means I need to do more to reach lost people. I don't need the elders or the, or, you know, or the pastors or uh, um, Christian or, or, or Melissa or somebody to come up with a program for that. But it is supposed to be a lot. Who we are is simply living as God designed us to live. Um, that's uh, the way it's supposed to work. Spiritual gifts are not an end in themselves. Now, many of you have probably studied this stuff many, many times before. How many of you, this is like not your first rodeo on, on talking about spirit. Thank you for coming anyway. Uh, uh, I promise you there are people who ought to be here uh, who aren't here because they're thinking, I studied spiritual gifts in 1973. Uh, 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 you know, and I read that book in 1973. I already know that. And my question is, what are you doing with it? And that's one of the ways... We've, we've, we've robbed, the, the, we've taken the kingdom reality out of it and churchified it. In church, it's enough that you know. But in the kingdom of God, the question is, what do you do? So if I know about spiritual gifts and what they are, the question, how am I incorporating that into my lifestyle, moment by moment, day by day? Am I living like I know it? Am I incorporating it into who I am and how I function? The gifts are not an end in themselves, but, and, and so... Uh, we're not going to talk, I'm, I'm, I'm going to teach a little bit on, on different categories of gifts, but the fundamental focus over the next three weeks is going to be on what we'll call uh, 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 motivational gifts, or I'm, I'm going to call them ministry graces. We're not going to talk primarily about uh, the manifestational gifts, those, those really exciting ones. But, but a lot of my, my experience, a lot of study of the gifts has been kind of made the gifts an end of themselves. And, and how many of this was not the first gift survey you ever took? How many of you have taken more than a dozen or so of these over the course of your life? Right, I have. I've taken a whole bunch of these things. And the question is, have you already done that? The question is, what have you done with it? Because what typically happens, we take it, we say, oh, that's really cool. I'm a, you know, I knew that. And then it goes, you know, we follow it and we don't have to take that course anymore. Because we, 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 we learned it. But Jesus wants us to use it. They're meant to be a means to the effective mission and ministry. This is one of the blank. Anywhere it's bold and underlined up there, it's a blank on your paper. The effective mission and ministry of the church. And again, sometimes we get, it, we get focused on gifts, and we can be because we're really independent-minded as Americans, and we're really individualistic as Americans. Well, here's my gifts, and here's what I'm going to go do. But the gifts really function best within the context of the larger body of Christ, and that's for the mission of the church. You have a role to play in the church. Well, Pastor Billy, i got a mission, i got a ministry, i got a call. Yes, you do. And it is a part of the larger purpose of God for the people of God. God's after a people. And, and, and if you excise your sense of calling and purpose and mission and giving from the, from the setting, the God-intended setting of the church, you're making a huge mistake and running the risk of, of undercutting your effectiveness and your ministry. Your gifts will be most effective. I think this is in your notes. 
in the context of the body of Christ when combined with the gifts of other Christians. New Testament ministry was usually team ministry. That's, does that, did I not have that? Was that? Is it, am, I, am I ahead of myself? Yeah, I'm ahead of myself. Let me back up. Oh, I got ahead of my notes, yeah. So, uh, uh, um, am I still? I'm trying. It's not moving. It's frozen. Can, can we back it up? It fro- yeah, it's frozen. Uh, we'll need somebody to get in the booth and do that for me. Uh, uh, so, where did I jump ahead of myself? Um, uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so you, 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 understanding you use your gifts is exciting and fulfilling for you. And it's going to be exciting and fulfilling for you. It should be exciting and fulfilling for you. But the real power of spiritual gifts is unleashed when the church works together as a team. Let me tell you in a minute. I'll go ahead and tell you ahead of time. Nobody's got all the gifts, and nobody's got none of them. Uh, uh, and, and so the, the kingdom of God is an interconnected, interwoven, interrelated reality. An interconnected, interwoven, interrelated organism. And, and so and that's why God, in fact, every time the gifts show up, and if you pay, if you study this, you start studying this in Scripture, you spend a little time with it on your own, maybe some of you will get excited and do that, you're going to find it's almost always, the, the, the example Paul almost always puts it in terms of the body, the, the literal physical body. And he talks about gifts in terms of, you know, you got ears and noses and eyes and hands and feet, and, uh, but but they're pretty useless by themselves. If I brought a foot in here and threw it down, you'd say, oh, that's gross. And you'd be right. That would be gross. Uh, um, and if I took it in here and threw it down, it wouldn't be much use to anybody. That foot is pretty useless until I attach it to a leg and a torso and ultimately a brain so that it can actually become useful. And so the notion that you're going to take your gifts and run out and do your thing is an unbiblical notion. The context is the local church. The real power of spiritual gifts is unleashed when the church works together as a team. Gifts are best understood in the context of church vitality, not personal fulfillment. That's humanism. Humanism is about personal fulfillment. Selfishness is about personal fulfillment. Americanism is about personal fulfillment. The kingdom of God is about the larger purposes of God, which is always corporate. So gifts are best understood in the context of church vitality. How is, my, how, how is the church growing and advancing and getting better because I'm, I'm using my gifts in that larger context and the fulfillment of the Great Commission? Jesus didn't give these gifts so we could get excited. In his mercy, he often makes it exciting because he's just like that. He's just good. But he didn't give them to us for excitement. He gave them to us for the fulfillment of the Great Commission and the vitality and the health of the church. Now I move on. Your gifts will be most effective. Yeah, I think I'm. I think I'm good, Jeff. Did you do that or did I do that? So am I locked out here? Uh, New, New Testament ministry was usually team ministry. Think about it. Jesus has his group of disciples, and the first time he sends them out, he sends them out how? Two by two. He said, and by the way, they were not particularly well trained at this point in the juncture. But he said, it's time to try this. And so he pairs them up two by two, sends them out, and says, come back later and let's talk about it. Jesus sends them out two by two. The Apostle Paul gets a lot of attention, but if you, if you read his letters carefully, you'll understand he did everything as a part of a team approach. Silas was there. Different people were there with him. They were working together. For season, Barnabas was a part of that. He worked as a team, and he functioned as a part of a team. Peter had Mark traveling with him. First gigantic conflict in the, in the early church. We don't know what to do about circumcision and, and some of these Jewish laws and, and there's a, we don't know what to do about this so let's, let's, let's get together and come up with a solution. Let's get together and find the mind of God. In Acts chapter 15 you have the first Jerusalem council. And so the idea is, is, is team. New Testament ministry was usually team ministry. Now there are a handful of exceptions that, that happen usually by, by um, uh, a necessity uh, but the concept fundamentally is team ministry. And then as I noted earlier, uh, um, By the way, there's no space. I think this has it on here for you. There's no room for jealousy, competition, or pride. Is that on your notes? Why is that? Number one, because they're grace gifts. You don't earn them. If you've got a gift of prophecy, you didn't earn it. If you've got a gift for evangelism, you didn't earn it. You didn't didn't, please God enough for him to give you that gift. If you've got a gift of teaching, you didn't study enough to get the gift of teaching. They're grace gifts. 
the grace of God. God just said, you know, and he's got a plan. He doesn't do it willy-nilly. I just don't understand the plan. He's smarter than I am. And so he gives these gifts by grace. We don't earn them, so we don't have a reason to be proud of that. We should be thankful, not prideful, that we have these gifts. Number two, no believer has all the gifts. Number three, every believer has one or more of them. So nobody's got them all, and nobody's left out. Which means, really, we need each other and each other's gifts in order to complete the work of God. Um, next, let's talk about some practical steps to discovering and growing in your uh, spiritual gifts. Um, now, I want to be clear when we talk about I'm going to talk about some things you can do to discover your spiritual gifts if you're not sure what they are. Some things you can do to develop and grow in them. Because, listen, you can't earn a gift, but you can develop skill in it. If you've got a gift for teaching, that comes from God. But what he wants you to do is take that and work with it, acknowledge it and work with it and grow it and develop and get better and better at, at your skill in the, in the administration of that gift. So you can't earn gifts, but you can absolutely grow in your understanding and your skillful use of them. Uh, anybody remember the story of the tortoise and the hare? You know, you know that race? The famous the hare in the race is in a hurry. He, he's ready to go. He wants to go now. He, he is found, and I would say as much as anything, that describes contemporary American culture. We are in a hurry. Honest, honest engine. Who has in the last week complained about the speed of your internet? He says, oh, no, this is so slow. Now, let's be honest. It took 30 seconds, and you got mad, right? It took 30 seconds to do something that just a few years ago would have required you to drive to the library and peruse an encyclopedia and maybe a handful of other books to find the answer you found, and, it, and you're upset that it took 30 seconds. <laughs> if you went to Wikipedia, 50-50 chance, you know, that, that, that might be the right answer. Uh, anybody in the last month sat in, a, sat in a, a, a line at a fast food place and complained how slow it was? No. Uh, yeah. So here's the deal. It takes maybe two minutes. It takes maybe two minutes for you to have, get, receive an entire meal for your entire family while sitting in your car. And we complain that it's too slow. Who's, who's gotten aggravated that your microwave wasn't heating up something fast enough in the last month, right? We live, that, is, that is contemporary American culture. So that, that's, the, that's the culture we live in. We're in a hurry. We want it now. We want it yesterday. We're, we're in a hurry. And here's something you need to understand. You need to get this. I don't know if it's in your notes, but you need to write it down even if it is. This stuff takes time. To discover, develop, grow in, and become proficient in, in the use of spiritual gifts, it's going to take time. It's going to take energy. It's, uh, let's be clear. It's going to take more than 20-minute spiritual gifts assessment and three weeks in a workshop. And everybody who's here tonight thinking, in three weeks I'm done, and check that off and move on to the next thing we start to cover, is, is going to end up doing nothing uh, with this issue. The, the, our objective is that this become a fundamental part of our lifestyle. How we find, and that takes, so, so, there's a whole lot of unlearning and relearning that we're going to have to do. Because we've created a church culture that's not always kingdom culture. And, we're gonna, and that takes time to change culture. It takes, takes time to think differently. I can tell you, just teaching this Kingdom of God series, you know, praise the Lord, some of these things are really working on me, which I'm excited about. And one of them is this whole idea of being very type A. I, I'm very, I want, yeah, I want to understand it. I want to know this, the I's are dotted, the T's are crossed. I like, I like to know that three weeks in advance. And if you could put that in triplicate and get it to me, so if I lose a copy, I got a backup. I, this is the way I like things to work. And, and just realizing that, I believe, I've come to believe wherever I am, Jesus sowed me there. And so things have gone wrong in the last couple of weeks in terms of how I planned them to go. And normally that would be very upsetting for me. And I, and I am finding myself saying, you know what? God's got this. Uh, yeah, I just, you know, he didn't sow the way I thought he was going to there. And, but we're going to work where this is. And that's a change for me. Now, I mean, I know that. It's not like, you know, how stupid is our pastor? Well, you know, you ask my wife. Uh, um, I can be pretty stupid. But, but, uh, but some of this requires time and, energy and effort to change. We're going to have to change our thinking. We're going to have to change. Uh, how, and, and then to, to grow in our gifts will take time and effort 
as uh, well. Our culture is obsessed with speed, obsessed with speed, and getting results instantly. But you know who won the race, right? What was the moral of that story? Slow and steady wins the race, and that is um, that's going to be the case in developing a culture, a kingdom culture where we uh, appreciate. Uh, one another's gifts, and, and, and seek to live them out for the kingdom day by day. One of the most exciting uh, uh, and productive things you can do as a follower of Jesus, or, or some of the most exciting, are discover, develop, and use your spiritual gifts to make disciples and to advance God's kingdom. Again, that's why they're there. God wants us to make disciples. That's the Great Commission right before Jesus left. He said, hey, I'd like you to do something while I'm gone. I'd like you to go into all the world and make disciples. You need to baptize them. You need to introduce them to Jesus, and then you need to teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. That's how you make disciples. You introduce them to Jesus, and then you teach them how to live. And, and so he's given us these gifts to do that. Um, and all three of these things are important. It begins with discovering them. And again, most of us here have taken tests, you know, spiritual gifts repeatedly. Hopefully there's some level of similarity between them. Um, the, the, the assessment we gave you, let's be very clever, is not perfect. I don't love it. Uh, um, but uh, Pastor Matt did the research for us, and he looked at a half a dozen or more. And we agreed, this was, uh, of the ones we looked at, this was probably the best for our, our immediate purposes. It's not perfect. I, I think they misunderstand a little bit. Uh, uh, the gift of, of, of prophecy. I think you misunderstand a little bit the gift of evangelism, but not hugely. Some of the questions I felt like had two answers instead of one. Uh, uh, and I'm thinking, well, I don't know. If I read this one way, I would say this. If I read it another way, I'd say that. And that was irritating to me because did I mention I like my eyes dotted and my, and my T's crossed? Uh, uh, so it's not a perfect assessment. Uh, uh, and let's, let's, you know, also, you could tell, right? You read the question. You could tell which gift it was talking about, right? And so let's be clear, if you wanted to come out prophecy, uh, you could make it happen, right? You, I mean, you, you could skew your results. And let's also be honest, um, sometimes uh, we don't always know ourselves as well as we think we do. And, and, and so you ever know anybody who was convinced they had a gift that you're pretty sure they don't have? Uh, um, or, or that they were convinced they didn't have a gift that you're pretty sure they do? Uh, uh, so sometimes we're our own perspective on ourselves isn't always correct. So none of these assessments are perfect. But that's a great place to start. And so that's why we send it out there. It's a great place to get started. But the first part is to discover your gifts. Once you feel like you've got a pretty good handle on what they are, you want to develop them. Man, you want to get better at it. This is, a, this is a trust. This is an investment. God has invested this in you. You want to work that thing. You want to give him a good return on investment. Which, so you want to use it. So let's talk about... Uh, then for just a minute uh, and again the idea here uh, it's going to take some time and effort and we want it to become a lifestyle you need to commit yourself to this as a lifestyle over the next two sessions we're going to look at uh, uh, the gifts uh, specifically what are some of their strengths what are some of their weaknesses because they have both a every gift has a corresponding strength and a corresponding weakness and they don't always cooperate well or, or they tend not to there, there, there is a real need for developing maturity in your gifts because immaturity in your gifts will cause a lot of problems. Uh, one of the gifts is a mercy gift, a, 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 a gift of, of mercy and compassion and showing mercy. And I want to tell you, if you don't know it already, it is really easy to get a mercy person to want to kill you. Uh, 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 how ironic is that? But, but all you got to do is do something that they think is offensive to someone else and then they want to scratch your eyeballs out because that's their mercy gift coming up to scratch your eyeballs out. Because they want to protect. And so if, there, if there's not a development, a maturity that develops there, then that can be a problem. Bill Gothard tells the story. I've, I've shared it with you. Many of you probably know it. You're, everybody's at a dinner party, and the hostess comes in carrying a tray of dessert, and she trips and falls and spills it everywhere. And the mercy person hops up with tears in her eyes and goes and hugs her and says, it's okay, it's okay, honey. And the server jumps up, runs to the kitchen, grabs a mop and a, and, and, and a thing and starts cleaning it up. And the person with the prophecy gift said, I told you that was going to happen. <laughs> the person with the teaching gift says, let me tell you how to stack those next time. And, and if you do it this way, you're, most, you're much less likely to drop. And the guy with the gift of giving jumps up and says, I'll take everybody out for ice cream. Uh, but what happens, also, also happening simultaneously, if people are immature in their gifts, is the mercy person is angry 
So you guys are talking about how these things are stacked, and you're not just hugging this woman who just spilled her dessert. Shame on you. And the server's mad that everybody didn't run get a mop and, and isn't helping them clean up. And, and, and the guy with the prophet gives, why are you crying? I told you this was going to happen. And, and, and if you did, just paid attention. And the person with the teaching gift said, you know, it's really your fault because if you had stacked them correctly. And everybody starts to get mad if you're immature in your gift. Uh, those are the downsides. And so we'll talk about that a little bit in the weeks to come. So three tips for growth. How do you go? Once you, once you, once you have some idea uh, of what your gifts are, or maybe even not a great idea, uh, 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 what are some tips for growing in your gifts? Number one, you need to be a Christian. Everybody is born into this world the first time with talents. It's hardwired into your DNA, talents, aptitudes, abilities. Some people are born, they're just, they're good with numbers. They're just, they're, they're designed that way. It's in their DNA. They're born, some people are born, they're good with, they're, they're very artistic. Some people are, are very athletic. They just came out of the womb with certain natural talents and abilities. That is not what we're talking about. We're talking about spiritual gifts that are given to you when you become a follower of Jesus because these are given for the advancement of the kingdom of God. These are for the glory of God and the advancement of the kingdom of God. Now, you might notice that we say, well, Pastor, I know, listen, my, my kid uh, has got a fifth-grade teacher that wouldn't know Jesus from, you know, the dog, but is an incredible teacher. Well, what they probably have is a real natural talent for teaching. Absolutely true. But someone who has a spiritual gift for teaching will have, a, have an aptitude for teaching and will use that to advance the kingdom of God, to glorify Jesus and to advance the kingdom. This is different from a natural talent or natural aptitude. So you need to be born again before you can really understand. These are in the context of advancing the kingdom of God. you got to know God to be able to do that. So these are spiritual gifts for the people of God. Next, you need to pray. Uh, whoops. You need to pray for guidance and then commit to grow. If you want to grow in these things, pray, Lord, help me. Help me understand what my gifts are. Help me understand what the weaknesses are there and the strengths. Help me grow in this. And, Lord, I will work on it. I will work on it with your, by your grace and with your help. Pray for guidance and commit to work on it. Read your Bible. Uh, read good Christian literature on the subject. And, and let me just say this. This is an area where there's a fair amount of disagreement uh, among people who love Jesus and the Bible. So you need to know that up front. Again, I do not agree uh, uh, with everything in this book. But the overall thing, I think, is fantastic. And so, so I can say, you know, there are parts in here that I, don't, uh, I think he's wrong. Uh, but, the, but the parts that are, he's right on, he's so right, it's worth, it's worth taking a look at. Uh, um, uh, so uh, the, people who love Jesus and the Bible sometimes disagree. Uh, over, over some of the categories or some of the meanings of some of these things, that's okay. But if you do some reading, you will run into that. You need to get into discipleship relationships, micro groups. Uh, Alex is looking at, at, at uh, advancing a little bit in his career, and so he's starting to do some shadowing. My son Alex, uh, uh, some shadowing with someone who does uh, what he's looking to possibly get into. It's, it's interesting. Uh, Jesus gave us the discipleship model. And so many areas in the world do it better than the church. Uh, you have journeymen, apprenticeships, and mentoring relationships and stuff, and different careers, and you go, and you have to go, and you have to follow people around in so many career areas. So you learn and you develop skill and understanding things by going around with people who are good at it. And, and Jesus gave it to us, and, uh, and the church hasn't done so great at it. You need to hang around with gifted people. You need to pray and commit to pray. Next, you need to get busy. No, I keep hitting that button. You need to get busy in a variety of ministries. Here's what I mean. Especially if you're on the front end. Now, if you've been at this for a while and you're, you really are pretty solid, you know what your, what your particular gifts are, this is less important. Uh, uh, but in general, get busy in a variety of ministries. Experiment. Try. You say, you know, say, I, can, can, ask, go to Kenny and Kathy. Say, can I try the CARES team for, you know, for three months? I just want to see how I am. At, at, at greeting people and making them feel welcome and doing that. And you may find out two months in, hmm, mm, we, can't, we can't put you around people. Uh, uh, we, need, we need to find you. You're gifted. You, you are gifted with bricks and mortar. But, uh, but, but there's, there's a, a friend, Pastor Matt, and I have a friend in the ministry. He's a pastor of a church down in Atlanta, Georgia. Georgia. His name is Marty Barrett. He, he did the video they had a while back with uh, Dr. Meinstein and the, and the clock. Anyway, he's a pretty funny guy. Yeah, he, he's, uh, he's really into theater and acting and, 
Ace Refund. They did a video for their church called Where Do You Put the Wookiee? And it was about finding your place, and they had this giant Wookiee, got a Wookiee costume, and they said, where do you put the Wookiee? They try him in the nursery, and the babies cry. You know, they try him as a greeter, and people run away. And so you, they, but, but their point was, there's, there's a place for you, even if you're a Wookiee. Uh, uh, um, I don't know. Where they, I think, well, for us, it would be probably security. I don't know. So I, yeah, I, I told Pat Sunday night, put the Wookiee on security. But, uh, um, but the idea here is that you just try some stuff. And listen, learning what you're not good at, that's not a failure, that's a success. Because we're trying to get better at being who God's called us to be. It's not a failure to learn, I'm not gifted in this area. Because I didn't earn those gifts. God gave them to me. And so if he didn't give me one, that's no but just he decided that he had something different in mind for me. So it's not a failure to learn and discover, I'm not actually, I'm not that great at, at, at greeting people. I'm not that great at teaching uh, uh, children's church i'm not that great at at, at uh, whatever but try a variety of things as you're learning and pay attention in fact as you're experimenting um by the way gifts you can't earn or manufacture them you, there's no amount of praying fasting or begging will get you a gift the holy spirit gives them as he sees fit. our job is to trust him say thank you and, and, and then discover the gifts you already have. We're not trying to earn them. We're not trying to manufacture them. We're not shopping for gifts. I think I'd like that one, please. Uh, we're, we're trying to discover the ones he's already given to us and already uh, put in us. So as you experiment and try different things, you know, and, and, and to look and say, how am I at teaching? How am I at serving? How am I at some of these things? Notice which ministry activities bring you joy, fulfillment, and energy. And let me throw this caveat out there real, really quickly. If this isn't in your notes, please write it down. Christians are not led by emotions. Uh, uh, so we've got to be a little careful here. Christians are not to be led by emotions. We're to be led by the Word of God and the Spirit of God. It can be dangerous to be led by emotions. However, under the, under the authority of the Word of God, because God is good, He has often design things in such a way that the things he wants us to do frequently bring us joy and energy and fulfillment. And he's made them enjoyable, oftentimes. That does not, however, mean that serving ministry will always be fun or easy. It won't. Sometimes ministry is very difficult. You'll invest in someone, invest in someone, invest in someone, and then they'll go and do something incredibly self-destructive. And that's painful. That's painful. But, you will find when, you're, when you tend to be serving in the way God designed you to serve, it tends to be energizing. It tends to be very fulfilling. You'll like it better than serving in areas where God's not necessarily designed you to serve. My wife is a ministry, among other things, is a ministry server. I mean, she's, she's just amazing. She, she just, she's, and I get, I get concerned because you can't, by the way, you, can't over, you can get out of balance with your gifts. But I, I'm, I'm always saying, honey, stop. Let someone else do that. Let somebody, you know, let somebody else cook that. Let somebody, you know, we'll be still eating and she'll be doing dishes. And they'll say, you come and, 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 and you can't overdo it. But I have also learned it brings her joy. It actually brings her energy to work in her gift sometimes. So I, I do want to protect her from overdoing it. But sometimes there's a real energy and a joy in that, that, that I just need to understand that I don't understand. But, 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 but uh, you know, I, I appreciate um, Next, notice which sorts of ministries um, you uh, are especially effective or fruitful in. It is just important to know what gifts you don't have as to know what gifts you do have. Um, but by the way, here's another thing I have found in the past. A lot of times when people study gifts, one of the dangers that comes up oftentimes is if people say, well, I'm, I'm not going to do that. I don't have that gift. Now, we do want to, we want to um, maximize our effectiveness for the kingdom of God, and that is a part of what we're learning to do. But sometimes you're going to need to play out of position. You just need to understand it, because this is a corporate thing. There are times we all have to play out of position. Uh, um, and, and, and now it should be, they should be shorter periods of time. But there may be something going on. There's a real need, and you're not particularly gifted in that area, but you have the availability. And you just say, I will, I will fill that need for a period of time until we can get somebody who is more gifted in there. That's part of working corporately in the kingdom. So we don't want to use, I, I, I have the gift of this, that, or the other as an excuse not to do anything else. Uh, uh, we just have to be a little bit careful about 
about that. Um, but again, by God, and, and let me say this, by God's grace, you may find, you'll have some level of success in everything you do, even if you're not particularly gifted at it. But you should be consistently successful, consistently fruitful, consistently effective at the things which you are, where you are most uh, uh, gifted. Um, you should also, uh, well, before we get there, uh, you should also notice which ministry activities that you're involved in result in the most consistent, significant confirmation from others. Because the context is within the larger church, people should be watching you and around you. And they're there to say, man, that was really awesome when you did that. Now, again, in the body of Christ, our, our general conversation should be affirming and, and you know, positive. And so you actually might do a pretty bad job when somebody say, man, that was fantastic. <laughs> Uh, uh, um, but but you can your most consistent um, acknowledgement, confirmation, uh, and significant confirmation should come from people uh, uh, around you as well. Genuine spiritual endowments from God should result in significant confirmation from within the church. Um, and so, the very best way to develop your gifts is the Jesus model on the job training. We call it discipleship in the Bible. That is the Jesus model. Um, you get out there and you do it. Uh, the, the most recent book I had, our, our elders and, and ministry staff reads a book by a guy named Dave Browning called, um, uh, uh, I can't, who brought my church on my, a Deliberate Simplicity. And, and they've developed a model in their ministry they call IDTS, Identify, Deploy, Train, and Support. And pay attention to the order there. They identify who's gifted in the area, and then they deploy them. Then they train them and support them. That's terrifying. That's terrifying, especially to people who are really controlling. <laughs> That's terrifying. Uh, but what he says is what we've learned is, is as we deploy quickly, first of all, if you pay attention, Paul would come into a city, spend anywhere from six months to two years, and within six months, two years, he'd leave and leave that place in the hands of people who had just been born again for six months to two years. Apparently, the New Testament model, in the, in the, in the early part of Jesus' ministry, he put these guys in twos and said, go. Come back and let's talk about it. And it was not long after that, they, were, they came back, they talked about it, Jesus, great, I saw Satan fall like lightning. Next thing you know, they're wanting to call down fire and kill people. And so we're not done training. But they were already deployed. On-the-job training is the Jesus model. It really is the New Testament model. We have so professionalized ministry that we've unkingdomized it. Uh, um, it it's less lifestyle and, and development and being who you are and more or less make sure you know enough that you would do it exactly the way I would do it if I was doing it, and then I'll feel good about that. And I get it that, that there's, there's, a, there's a safety in that. Problem is, it's not kingdom. And so this, this identified, deploy, train, what he says is, we have found that when we deploy quickly, what you have is a motivated learner. You take somebody who has an ability, a capacity to lead a small group, and you put them lead a small group pretty quickly, it ain't, it's going to be about two weeks before they come to you and say, I do not know what to do about so-and-so in my small group. But now they really want to know. Because they're leading a small group. And they realize, I don't know what to do about so-and-so. I need help. What you have in there is a motivated learner. And so you, you train and support on the job. Uh, uh, and this is a, a little more kingdom-oriented. Uh, uh, in the church, fascinatingly, where Jesus gave us this discipleship model, what we do is we get young people who are excited about Jesus and excited about reaching people for Jesus. And we say, great, let's rip you out of the world, stuff you in a seminary for three to four years until you get that nice Christian mold on you. And all that enthusiasm and excitement and, and, and faith that you had, we're just going to teach that right out of you. And then we'll, and then we'll turn you loose. And, uh, and we'll put, then we, now we'll put you in the world. And suddenly you don't, really, you don't have your lost friends. All my lost friends are gone. I lost them over three years in seminary. I don't know any lost people anymore. And, 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 uh, um, and, and, and I'm not quite as excited as I used to be, not quite as motivated. Now, I'm not saying seminary is a bad thing. That's not what I'm saying. Don't go and, and say I said something I didn't say. I'm just saying uh, I, I'm a big fan. Listen, I'm, a, I'm an academic geek. I'm a nerd. I like learning. I like study. I like, I'm a big fan of precise and accurate theology and doctrine. I, I am. 
But uh, I also believe in the Jesus model, and we need to be uh, uh, quick to do that. Uh, I want to be faithful to our time, so I'm going to stop there. This is where we stopped in the last guy through. But I do take just a minute. Are there any at this point? Next time, we're going to quickly we'll run through three basic categories of gifts because there are different categories of gifts you'll find in the New Testament, and there's tremendous confusion here. Uh, um, people misunderstand gifts because they misinterpret which category they're in. And so we're going to talk about that briefly. Uh, next time, and then we're going to get into individual gifts and start talking about strengths and weaknesses and what. So that's what we'll start on next time. But let me, anything anybody wants to ask about real quick or uh, before we close up our time here? Any questions kind of come to you while we're talking here tonight or even before you got here? thought, man, I hope before we're done we talk about something. Anybody? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the problem is it's in the Bible. So so your complaint is not with me. Your complaint's with the author. Uh, she, she struggles with the word should. We, we looked at the verse, uh, uh, um, each one should use the gifts uh, that he's been given. Uh, uh, um, I assume that that's, that's your reference because that's where, where, where it came up. Yeah, uh, uh, um, yeah. First Peter 4.10, each one should use whatever gift he's received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its greatest form. Uh, and I hear what you're saying. The problem is your complaints with the author, uh, uh, um, and, and that's Scripture. And, and, and so here's what that means. It means you really should, and it mean, it, which means the expectation of God is that we should, which means if we don't, we have, in fact, failed to do something we should have done. Now, who's the author? He's the God of all grace and the God of all comfort uh, who sent Jesus to die for all the things we should have done that we didn't and all the things that we shouldn't have done that we did. And, and so failing in a should doesn't make God hate us or, 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 or be done with us or whatnot. Uh, um, but it doesn't change the fact that he has an intent and a plan. He has an intention, a plan, and a design. And we should do it. We should walk in it. But we also need, James uh, writes and says, we all stumble in many ways. That was a brother of Jesus, an apostle, writing that to Christians. And he said to Christians, we all stumble in many ways. Hey, look in, I mean, let, let, let's, let's hit this really hard. Uh, uh, um, so, so, you know, we, we have a, a balanced understanding. First John chapter 2, verse 1, My dear children, I write this to you so you will not sin. What's the implication here? You shouldn't sin. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. So God, in his incredible grace and mercy, has already understood sin's a part of the equation. wasn't by design. He didn't design us to sin, but he knew we would. And he already put, before he made people, he had a lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world to take care of that. And so we don't have to self-flagellate. We don't have to feel condemned because God's not, Jesus said, uh, um, God did not send the son of the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. So, so he, his interest isn't condemning or beating or pounding or, or, or grinding. But he does have a plan and a design. And he wants us to walk in that. And when we blow it, you know what he does? He said, what your dad did when he fell off the bike, he said, here, get back on there, let's try this again. And you fall down here, let's get back on there, let's try this again. Right. Well, God doesn't think. God knows. Uh, I, 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 I mean, I'm saying, I, I, Again, uh, but again, I mean, we're we're dealing with exactly, exactly. And, and, and but he also knows sometimes you're not gonna. Sometimes I'm not gonna, huh? Yeah, right, right. So so you know, and, and so there is grace when we fail, because God is a God of grace. He is a redeemer. He takes the stuff we blow, and brings good out of it. And, and, and so we don't have to be afraid of the shoulds of the shoulds of God. But we we, sh- we he wants us to be excited about them. And remember, and we can be because we know it's in the context of the grace of God and the goodness of God.
His plan is good, and he loves us even when we blow it. And that's the gospel. I mean, the gospel is that, you know, I needed Jesus, and I need him today, and I'm going to need him tomorrow. Anybody else real quick? Anything else? No? All right. Well, again, I want to be faithful to our time, so we're going to stop. And uh, 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 next week we'll talk about categories of gifts, and then we'll start getting into individual uh, uh, gifts, the ones that were showed up on that, uh, on that survey instrument uh, uh, that you took for us. So let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you that... Um, well, we didn't just happen, and uh, you didn't have to make us. You wanted to, and you didn't, it didn't just kind of pop out. You, you thought this thing through, and you have a plan and a desire and a design, and it's good. And uh, you have designed us to fit into that plan and that desire and that design. And so we thank you for that. We want to do that. We want to agree with you. We want to cooperate with you. And step in that plan and that design uh, for your glory and pleasure and for the benefit of many. Help us, Lord, make us the people you've called us and created us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Bless you guys. Yeah, Grandpa again today.